turn your Bibles to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. As you turn there, I do want to mention that Brother Parker will be heading out to Germany for uh, this Friday, the Lord willing, for a number of days and just taking care of some odds and ends over on, uh, in that part of the world where they had been ministering for so long. And so you pray for them. Uh, he's buying a one-way ticket, but we're going to make sure he gets a round-trip ticket and gets it back, okay? We need to get him back here. And Miss Junior needs him back as well. So let's pray for them as he gets ready to head out also. I want to turn our attentions this morning to the Gospel of Mark again on this Sunday morning. I, I, we are preaching our way through uh, and just touching on every verse as we go along out of the Gospel of Mark. And this morning you may note that I'll uh, have, we'll jump over a few verses and uh, I may come back to those few verses tonight. Uh, may spend some time in the Gospel of Mark this evening. I'm not quite sure just yet, but in preparation for this week, I really laid out a message that was not of this morning's message, but as I began reading all the way through the chapter to the end of the chapter, I felt needed that, uh, that we would spend our time on the subject matter that's before us. Mark chapter 9, verse number 43, and following in your Bibles, if you would please. And if I hand offend thee... Cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where, the, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I want to spend some time this morning and entitled The Time Together in the Bible. How to miss hell and gain heaven. How to miss hell and gain heaven. Here in our study out of Mark's gospel, we find Jesus for the first time out of Mark's gospel. He's dealing directly with the subject of hell. And in these passages, we find some very sobering and some very striking and serious, serious passages regarding the subject and the place of hell. If you happen to have a red letter edition Bible this morning, in your King James Bible, you'll note that, that you'll recognize that these are the words of Jesus. That red letter sig- making the significance of denoting that these are the words of Christ himself. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is here the one, he's doing the teaching. He's giving the descriptions. He's setting forth the warnings about hell. These are not spoken, and I wanted to point that out to you because these are, understand, these are not spoken by a mere philosopher, a philosopher of religion. That's not who this is. These are not words of a politician. They're not words of a professor of education. These kind of people that I just mentioned are a dime a dozen. You can find them everywhere. They're in every place of, quote, higher 
education, higher learning, uh, both locally and literally around the world. These kinds of people, the philosophers of religion, the politician, the educator, uh, the liberal individual of the world, these kind of folks, if you ask them uh, about any particular topic, particularly the topic of hell, you'll get all sorts of opinions and all sorts of ideas about this place called hell. I dare say that you'll not find many that would have a consensus, but you would find many that would deny it, to deny that the place even exists at all, that there is such a place as hell. They would, many would say there is no hell. They would argue that a God of grace and a God of mercy certainly would not have a place called hell. There would be no such place that would ever existed, did it ever in the past, nor does it now. Most of the secular educated today would say this, and it's sad to say that even many of the seminary educated of the day, it would be connected with many of the mainstream denominations of today would deny that there is a hell. Uh, They would say that there's no such place as a real hell, a real burning, a place of fire and brimstone, a place of eternal torment. They would deny that there's a damnation that awaits all those who are not born in Christ, who never received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and eternal damnation, separation from God. Some would go as far as to say that hell is a place where there's separation, but there's no damnation, there's no torment, there's no hell fire, there's no brimstone, there's nothing like this. Many would teach that uh, that the Scriptures where the Bible speaks on hell And even in these particular passages, that these passages are allegorical in nature. And they they cannot be taken literally. So you can't take these things literally, many would teach. Others who might believe in a hell would say that it's not a place, as I mentioned, of eternal torment. But it's a place... If they believe it, some teach it's a place of immediate extinction. Hell exists, but it's just a place of immediate extinction. Uh, There's no pain involved in it. There's no torment here. The Seventh-day Adventists teach that what they call annihilationism, uh, they say hell is a place where you're just simply annihilated. There's no torment. There's nothing here beyond that. It's just a place of an eternal extinction. Pope John Paul II stated it on July the 28th in 1999. The Bible uses a symbolic language, he said, which must be correctly interpreted. And by the way, uh, the Roman Catholic Church says they are the ones that interpret the Bible for you. You don't have the ability to do it yourself. So according to their teaching, according to to the popes, there's a symbolic language that must be interpreted correctly by their interpretations. Rather than, he says, rather than a place, hell indicates the state of those who freely separate themselves from God. So hell is not a place, hell is simply a state of being. The Catholic Faith Handbook for Youth, it was printed in 2007, states that heaven and hell Both are not places, but states of being. 
Not places, but states of being. If you'll read some with regards to the Roman Catholic Church, you'll find many uh, things that are said that are quite, uh, that are denied when they'll say one thing on one hand and say a different thing on another hand. They teach a place called purgatory. The Bible has nothing to do with purgatory at all in it. It's a place where the Roman Catholic Church has has conjured up where if if someone goes, they can go to an intermediate, a, a kind of a, a heavenly waiting room in case of some sins that need to be forgiven for you that some of your kin people can pay some indulgences and, and it's a way in which the Roman Catholic Church can fill their coffers in order thinking that you're going to get somebody out of purgatory and on into heaven if you say enough rosary, if you pay enough price over time. The LDS Mormon Church teaches that hell is a spirit prison. Hell is simply a spirit prison where a person's soul goes. And this person, the soul of this person uh, goes there to this spirit prison who have rejected the uh, LDS's teaching about Jesus. And their teaching is far from what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Far from it. But in this spirit prison, the soul is taught the gospel according to the LDS church. And while in this spirit prison, those souls, after having been taught the gospel, they there in this spirit prison have the opportunity to repent and be saved and brought out of that spirit prison into a place that they would call heaven or sort of such a thing. If it even exists, they would even go as far as to teach we all become gods. Listen, while you find many diverse teachings and opinions about hell, here in these verses that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lays out before us, you find some not diverse opinions, but you find definite truth. Definite truth. In the matters of heaven and hell, In the matters dealing with eternity, a man better not come to the conclusions that he has based upon the opinions of some man or some denomination. But he better stake his confidence in the Word of God. And what the Bible says with regards to these matters. Think with me how foolish it would be for a man to have open heart surgery. When all the surgeons and all the staff in the operating room all have differing opinions about the surgery. Everybody just has a different idea about what's about to take place. Whether the surgery is needed or not. How to make the incision. What instruments do you use. Differing opinions on how to cut, where to cut, when to cut, and how to cut. Differing opinions on what happens if bleeding takes place. How do we stop the bleeding? There's different opinions about all this. How to save your life. Different opinions. Maybe these some opinions that would say uh, the life is not worth saving at all. A man would be a fool to sign up for that kind of surgery. Amen. How foolish it would be to sign up for that kind of thing. No, you, you don't need an opinion. When it comes to somebody taking a knife to the body, amen? 
It's not, we're not looking for an opinion with regards to these things. What we're looking for and what we need is a specialist, an expert. You want a, an exact procedure. You're not looking for an opinion about how to do it and when to do it or if we do it at all. You want an exact procedure. You want everybody in the operating room to know exactly what needs to be done. You want a team of experts, not a bunch of I think so opinions when it comes to our, our bodies. We want a specialist who knows uh, how to save the temporal life. Tell me, why in the world wouldn't we want a specialist that knows how to save our eternal souls? That knows the difference here. A specialist that's an expert on eternal life, on the soul. A a specialist that's an expert on heaven and on hell and on life and on death. Better yet, even so, an expert specialist that's perfect in every case. Never made a mistake. Never lost a patient. A doctor that has a 100% success rate. A doctor whose every patient he offers and he gives everlasting life to who seek it. A great physician. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the great physician. When it comes to life here and the life hereafter, I don't want opinions about the whole thing. I need truth. I need truth about it. Here Jesus Christ, that great physician, is giving us the truth about heaven and the truth in these passages about hell. He's the great truth giver. Listen, this morning as we consider these passages, don't miss it. Don't neglect it. Listen to the truth. Our key verse out of our study in Mark's gospel is found in chapter 10 and verse number 45. For even the Son of Man is come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. That's our key verse. That's the key verse that describes why Christ came through. And we see His life through the Gospel of Mark. In our passage that we read this morning, Jesus has come Uh, To this earth and he's come to seek and to save the lost. And he's beginning to tell his disciples what's going to take place. He is now moving and making his way to Jerusalem. We've mentioned that a number of times. And as we get further into these passages out of Mark's study. We'll see that he eventually ends up in Jerusalem. And we see what happens there. He gives his life for the souls of lost men and women. And Jesus is teaching these truths to them. He begins in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 31. Look at it with me. Mark 8 and 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He goes on a little further with his disciples and he says the same thing out of Mark 9 and verse number 31. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. He goes on in Mark chapter number 10, verses 32 through 34. 
And they were in the way going to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed as they followed. And they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him. And shall kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. Listen, understand. Jesus came with a mission in mind. He came with a mission in mind. Jesus is on a mission. And he tells us in these passages. And he's saying to to his disciples here. There's a heaven to be gained. But there's a hell to be shunned. A heaven to be gained. But a hell to be shunned. What Jesus has to say here is really striking. It's serious. It concerns us all. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, it concerns us all. It's a very weighty matter. Again, don't miss it. Listen up to what Jesus, the great physician, has to say with regards to these matters. In these verses, we have several sets of threes. Several sets of threes that our Lord uses to teach us about hell. And I'll point them out this morning as we go into these passages that we read earlier. First of all, we'll see that there are three ways in which we sin. Jesus mentions three warnings about our sin. And then lastly, three wise instructions on dealing with our sin. Notice with me verse number one. Three ways in which we sin. Verse number 43, he mentions, if thy hand offend thee. He mentions the hand. Verse number 45, if thy foot offend thee. He mentions the foot. Verse number 47, if thy eye offend thee. He mentions the eye. The word offend there, we get our English word from, it is the word scandalize. Uh, The idea here is uh, to offend is to trip up. To entice to sin. To be a stumbling block. Or to be an implement in the way of another. Notice in verse number 42 of our text. Jesus is talking about the children. And Jesus has a child upon his lap. And he says in verse number 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And he were cast into the sea. He uses the word offend there in regards to causing one of these little ones to sin. To be an impediment in their way. To keep them from Christ. But in verses 43, 45, and 47, Jesus is not dealing with the offense that's in the life of another. But the offense, the impediment, the stumbling that's in our life. The thing that's in our way. The thing that has called us to sin. The hands. The feet. The eyes. We all, all of these we use constantly. All of these we get up each day and and we go through our daily schedules of life. And we use these uh, very precious things 
constantly over and over and over again. Our hands and our feet and our eyes. Our Lord mentions uh, as ways in which calls us to sin. Now understand, it's not my hand that's sinful. It's not my feet that's sinful. It's not my eyes that are sinful. But these are the things that our Lord uses to describe how we sin. These parts of our body have enormous potential to do good. And they often do. But they also have enormous potential to do bad. To sin. With these three, we can practice great, a great deal of good. Or we can practice a great deal of sin. The things that our hands do. The places that our feet carries us. Our walking to sin. Our walking in sin. Rather than from sin. Our eyes. That can become covetousness. Our eyes that, that land upon lustful things and, and stay there. And so oftentimes I may not be able to always control what my eyes see. But I can control how my eyes linger. How my eyes stay. How my eyes remain. And he's mentioning these things as ways in which places that cause us to sin. And, and I believe our Lord is mentioning these things because they're characteristic literally of our entire lives. Our, our very beings themselves. Characteristics of our day-to-day lives. What we do, where we go, what we see, and what we think. I appreciate the Sunday school lesson this morning. It dealt with the things that come into our mind. When lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin. When sin is finished, it bring forth death, James tells us. The places we go, the things we handle, the things we see. Listen to Romans 5, excuse me, 7 and verse number 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins... Which were by the law. The law showed us our sins. So the motions of those sins did work in our members. The motions of sin working in our members. Watch that. Our hands, our feet, our eyes, our minds, everything about us. The motions, uh, these, these things did work in our members. To bring forth fruit unto death. These things Work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Look with me at Mark chapter number 7 please. Mark chapter number 7 verses 20 through 23. Mark 7 20 through 23. For he saith that which cometh out of the man that defile the man. For from within... Out of the heart of the man proceeded evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Again, it is not the hand that is sinful. It is not the feet that is sinful. It is not the eye that is sinful. But these things become avenues by which we sin. Because it plays itself out in our instruments. In yielding ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. Think with me when David sinned against Bathsheba. 
It all started with a look. It continued with a walk. Not from sin, but to sin. That lust draw, and he began to walk towards sin. He should have done like Joseph. And Joseph, instead of walking to sin, Joseph ran from sin. But David, he went further. Not only did he see, not only did he walk toward, but he eventually he touched. He touched that which was not his to touch. He touched that which was not rightfully his. The wife of another man. With his hands, he writes a letter to Joab. Put Uriah the Hittite in the heat of the battle. Put him up front. And when the heat of the battle begins to rage, withdraw. Leave him there so that he might be killed. With his hands, he wrote the letter and sent even to Joab in Uriah's hands. And he was killed. How often... How often and how many ways do we sin with our hands? Things we ought not touch. Places we ought not be with our feet. Things we ought not look upon with our eyes. How often do we sin in these ways? How often have our instruments been used for unrighteousness? How many times have they been used in this way? Lot, the sin of Lot, and we know how dreadful All of Sodom and Gomorrah was. The sin of Lot started with a look towards Sodom. And it began and continued with a walk into Sodom. It lingered there and he labored with his hands at the gate while in Sodom. See, he allowed himself, he allowed his daily activities of life simply to carry him headlong into sin. Our Lord mentions Three ways in which we sin. He describes three areas that cause us to sin. But not only that, we see the first set of three. But notice secondly, three times our Lord gives warning about our sin. Three times our Lord gives warning about our sin. He gives warning about where our sin takes us. Where sin will be paid for. Out of verse number 43. Thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. Verse number 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into... uh, enter, Enter... Let me put these on. Forgive me. The eye is not evil, but I need glasses to see through them. Thy offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into fire. Look at verse number 47. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to enter to be cast into hell fire. He mentions the consequences of our sin. He mentions out of verse number 44, not only the place of our sin, he calls it a place called hell. But notice the descriptions of hell. Out of verse number 44, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 46, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse number 48, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Here again three times, I believe for emphasis, the Lord describes the place where our sins lead us to. 
where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Three times our Lord says this is the result of our sin. This is the wages of death. He uses the word hell here. This word hell is the word Gehenna. It derives from an Old Testament valley called the Valley of Hinnom. This valley is located just south of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, uh, you'll find the study in 2 Chronicles and other places, the study of wicked King Ahaz and Manasseh before he repented of his sins. These wicked kings sacrificed their infant children to the pagan gods Moloch, the god of the Amorites. In this valley of Hinnom, it was literally a place Uh, sacrificing to the pagan gods, they would take their infant children and they would sacrifice them. They would put them alive into the burning fires. The Bible mentions the word topheth. That word has the idea of the place of drums. It is thought that this place, this valley of Hinnom, as they would sacrifice their newborn little ones into the fire alive, that they would beat upon the drums and the drum beat would be so loud that it would drown out the screams and the cries of the little babies as they were cast into the fire. Look with me at Second Chronicles, or let me just read you the passage. Second Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 3. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, And burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. They burned their children in this valley, Gehenna. Under King Josiah, the places of infant sacrifice were destroyed. Under the revival of King Josiah, the valley of Hinnom was turned into... to Jerusalem's garbage dump. A place where the city would dump their garbage and where they would burn their garbage and and where the fire burned continually uh, up underneath all the rubbish and all the things that were placed out there. It would be set afire and that fire would literally burn continuously in the garbage heaps. It became known as the place of fire. What a graphic illustration our Lord uses here. What a graphic illustration. A place of fire. A place no one would ever want to go. A place no one would ever want to hang out. A place no one would ever want to be caught in. The stench. The fire that never goes out. Listen, sin will take you. It will take an individual to the place of Gehenna. A place of fire. It's a place of torment. What a graphic illustration our Lord uses here. They understood full well what Jesus was speaking of when he used the word Gehenna. A place of torment. In these verses we see where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. There's an external torment of fire. The fire is not quenched. An external torment of fire. The fire that never goes out. A fire that is not quenched. Now, we're not talking about a little fire in the wintertime. We'll, we'll build a little place and we'll warm ourselves in the cold of night with a fire. I know in many of our neighborhoods, and maybe you have one in your back, 
lawn where you put out the chairs and you have this little patio and you build a fire there and you warm yourself by the fire. This has nothing to do with that. A fire, even in California, they have fires every year and, and sometimes we're affected by the smoke. But no matter what the fire, they eventually go out. They, they use up the source by which they burn. They eventually go up, but not in this place. They go out rather, but not in this place. In this place, the fire is not quenched. The fire never goes out. It never goes away. It's not a fire by which you warm your body, but rather it's a fire that burns your body. One in which there's no escape from. One in which there's no walking away from. The rich man lifted up his eyes, the Bible says, being in torments. And he said, I'm tormented in this flame. Oh, send somebody to just put their finger, a droplet of water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. There's an external torment of fire. But I also believe not only is there external torment of fire, he says the fire that's not quenched, but I believe there's an internal torment of the worm. An internal torment of the worm. Where the worm dieth not. This is the only time in our New Testament. Do we find this word here. This worm that's used here in this, in this passage. The only time. Other than the other gospels that it's used. It says this worm does not die. This is not your ordinary garden variety worm. Understand. This is a worm that feeds upon the carcasses of dead and decaying flesh. Job 21 and 26, speaking of death, they shall all lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. A little worm that dieth not. But the worm eats from the inside, I believe, as well. I believe there's a, there's a worm that not only may be on the outside, but there's a worm that eats on the inside. And that worm is the conscience. An allusion to the conscience maybe our Lord is dealing with here. That's forever eating away over and over again in a place called hell. Because a conscience that's defiled, a conscience that's ruined because of the sins that we committed. Because of our life that rejected Jesus Christ. A conscience that can never be satisfied. But a worm that literally is from the inside out. Verses 45 and verse number 47. It says, cast into the hell fire. Cast into Gehenna. Just the thought itself of being cast. Gives pictures that my mind can't fully comprehend. To be cast, not to be let down, but to be cast into Gehenna, to be cast into hellfire, a fire that torments, a worm that torments, and a length that torments. Cast into hellfire, the doors locked behind with no place, no opportunity, no avenue by which to ever be relieved. A length that torments. Jesus mentions in this teaching on hell three ways in which we sin. I believe characteristic of literally our members, our bodies, our way of living. Three warnings about our sin. But then he mentions again 
Now let me note to you three instruments, or three rather instructions on dealing with our sin. Three instructions, three wise instructions on dealing with our sin. Look at verse number 43. And if thy hand offend thee, what does he say? Cut it off. Look again what he says out of verse number 45. And if thy foot offend thee, what does he say? Cut it off. And again in verse number 47. If thine eye offend thee, what does he say? Pluck it out. Here are three instructions, wise instructions on dealing with our sin. Now we know of course that Jesus is not talking about self-mutilation. There are people around the world, and I've seen videotapes and pictures of people, particularly someone mentioned the Philippines this morning in parts of the world, in Asian parts of the world, where somebody will allow themselves to literally be crucified and and hung upon the cross, and they parade that individual through the towns. Self-mutilation. Jesus is not teaching this at all. And anyone that would follow that kind of teaching, they're not Bible at all. But Jesus is saying, and he's putting forth the instruction, the wise instruction of the seriousness of the matter. He's establishing the seriousness of dealing with sin that leads to hell. He's saying that anything that's standing in the way of us coming to him for salvation, whatever it is, he says, give it up. He says, cast it out. He says, cut it off. Jesus is laying forth a radical dealing with sin in our lives. We dabble in it. We play with it. We spend time with it. Jesus says, cut it off. Deal with it. And let me say, you can't deal with it by yourself. Jesus is not calling for self-mutilation, but he's not calling for self-reformation either. He's saying, you need Jesus Christ. You need me. This is why I've come. This is why I'm going to Jerusalem. This is why I will die. He's come to seek and to save the lost. He's come to keep us out of this place. He's come to take that old, cold, stony heart To make it to a heart of flesh. One that's pliable. One that's moldable. One that's like His. What anything. Anything that's keeping us. And so many times I believe people will say no to the Spirit leading in their lives. The Spirit is drawing them to salvation. They'll sit in a pew. And sit in a place where they've heard Bible preaching. And they'll just hang on. And they'll say no because of some sin that they'd rather hang on to. That sin... Sin by choice. We're sinners by nature. We're born that way. But we're also sinners by choice. And that choosing to remain in that sin will land us in a place, Gehenna, the place of hell. And so many times, I believe people will say, I'll just take my sin. I'll believe the opinions of other men rather than the great physician. Jesus Christ. I'll just take my sin. Jesus says, give it up. Cut it off. Aaron Ralston was a mechanical engineer. He was also an avid outdoorsman. He is. He's still alive today. On April 
26 in 2003, he was climbing in what's known as the Blue John Canyon in southeastern Utah. Aaron Ralston, he was 28 years of age, and on that day he was climbing in those mountains. He was descending a canyon, and as he was descending in a canyon, an 800-pound boulder dislodged as he was holding on to it. It dislodged, and the boulder first smashed his left hand and then crushed and pinned his right hand against the canyon wall. And that 800-pound boulder had his hand crushed, and it was pinned against that canyon wall. And he was there, and he could not move. He could not do anything but just sit there. He was all alone. He had not told anybody about his trip that day. Although he had oftentimes gone out, he had not told anybody about his whereabouts. He had driven his truck out into the, into the uh, park area that day where he was going to climb. And he had got off his truck and he had ridden his bicycle eight miles or so from where he had parked his truck. And there he was, pinned against that canyon wall. And for the next five days, he remained pinned. He had 12 ounces of water. He said that he had just a couple of burritos, he called them. It's all the food he had. So over the next five days, four to five days, he rationed his water and a little bit at a time. And he ate what food he had. And as he was there over and over again, he tried and he tried to free himself. He tried to chip away at the limestone, sandstone rock that was there. He had something somewhat like a Leatherman. You men would understand what a Leatherman is. Maybe you're carrying one today. Something that was similar to a Leatherman. He said it really wasn't a Leatherman. It would have been something that if you'd have spent $15 for a flashlight, they would have thrown this multi-tool in as a bonus. He said, that's all I had. So he took his multi-tool and he tried to chip away at the stone until it was of no avail. Three days in, he was now dehydrated and becoming very, very weak. On day number four, he began preparing himself for the worst, thinking he would die. But he began to prepare himself to amputate his hand, the mid-sized point of his forearm. As he was contemplating all this, he carved his name into the sandstone. He carved his birth date and he carved his, what he perceived as his death date into the sandstone. On day number five, in delirious desperation, and he knew that his multi-tool, there were bones in the, in the arm. And he knew his multi-tool tool would not sever those bones. So he used, in desperation and delirious, he used the torque of his body uh, to break the radius and ulna bones in his forearm. And then with a two-inch dull knife, blade, and pliers... Of his multi-tool, multi-tool, rather, he freed himself from his death trap. He says that he repelled down 65-foot wall, the canyon, one-handed. He hiked six miles. He was heading back to his truck. He hiked six miles back before he was found. 
He had lost in those five days 40 pounds and 25% of his blood volume. Park rangers went later to the scene of the accident. It said that 13 men, a winch and a hydraulic jack, it took to recover Ralston's hand and forearm that he had left in the cracks. Ralston lived. He said later, he did not lose his hand, he gained his life. A limb was worth losing to save his life. The limb became less valuable so that his life could be saved, which is of utmost value. Let me ask you this morning, what's the value of an eternal soul? What's the value of an eternal soul? Matthew 18 and 11. Brother Caleb read it just earlier today with this verse. I'm through. For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. The Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. Anything that would be in our life that would be an impediment. Anything that would be in our lives that would cause us to stumble. Not only someone else, but cause us to stumble. Any sin that we're hanging on to, it's not worth it. Jesus says, cut it off. Cast it away. Lest it causes us to be cast into the lake of fire. Anything that would keep us from coming to Jesus and being saved. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Jesus gives some very graphic teaching on hell. Very sobering. Very striking. Three ways in which we can fall to sin. Consequences in which our sin leads us to. All but the instructions on how to gain heaven. And how to make sure hell is not our destiny. We lose hell. Praise God for saving grace. Amen. If you're born again this morning, I just want to say praise God for that. Praise God for that. We ought to fall upon our knees every day and say, God, thank you for saving me from myself. Thank you for saving grace. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. He's your personal Lord and Savior. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. It doesn't matter how valuable you think it is. The hand, the eye, the foot. It doesn't matter how valuable you think it is. It doesn't matter how pleasurable these things may bring. It doesn't matter how profitable these things may bring. They're all for naught if we die and spend eternity and cast into a lake of fire. Gehenna. It's not worth it. Come to Jesus and be saved. Trust Him. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Dear Christian, this morning, let's not get caught up in sin. Let's not let sin have its foothold in our lives. Let's be faithful and true to the God that saved us. His name is Jesus Christ, the great physician. Let's hear His words and let's respond. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.